Episode 30 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. With the fifth installment of the Mission Impossible series, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, currently reigning at the box office, Ryan and I wanted to rewatch the 1996 reboot that started it all. We don't necessarily disagree on this movie. In fact, we both remember liking it. But we haven't seen it in a while, and we wanted to see how the movie holds up after almost 20 years. Mission Impossible was a pretty big hit, earning over $180 million, opening in more theaters in America than any movie had up to that point. Critics generally praised the movie as a fun, exciting romp from accomplished director Brian De Palma and Oscar-winning screenwriter Robert Towne, and it further solidified Tom Cruise as an almost sure bet at the box office. Five films and nearly 20 years later, audiences are still lining up to see the exploits of Ethan Hunt and the increasingly dangerous stunts that Tom Cruise performs. But does the first installment still work well enough to hold our attention? Or is this a mission we would rather not choose to accept? Keep listening. There's the theme. You know what's mm. funny is every time I hear that theme, yeah. I think of a traffic report because there's a local radio station that has for like ever since this movie came out, which what, 1996, uh-huh. they've used Mission Impossible as the background music really? for their traffic reports. <laughs> yep. So it's, every time you hear that theme music, you're ready to hear I'm, about how things are going on, yeah. the, on the Ike. On the Ike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. That's funny. Well, for most of the country that's not what they think right i think of espionage and tom cruise tom cruise now and uh yeah self-destructing messages right yeah and uh and of course we're talking about mission impossible that's the movie we're discussing this uh, for this episode episode 30 by the way thanks for those of you who've got who have listened since the beginning yeah thanks for coming along on this podcast is as old as i am i think that's how it works old (laughs) yeah this this podcast mm mm-hmm and we are discussing Mission Impossible because of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which is in theaters now. Um, by the yeah. time this actually gets edited, I don't know how new of a movie it's really going to yeah, be anymore. <laughs> but did you see it? I didn't see it. No. I didn't either. Why would I have? <laughs> what, like, prepare for this episode? It could have. No, I've seen all of them except for that one. Really? Yeah. I didn't see three. Oh, uh, I saw that one. Um, That's that J.J. Abrams. First, yeah, that was the uh, first one I saw Philip in theaters. Hoffman, right? The and only one I saw in theaters. Yeah, it's good. That's what I've heard. I just never, never Philip caught it. Philip Seymour great in it. And, I think yeah. I disliked two so much yeah. that I didn't feel like I needed to see three. Two's, and then, a, two's a real stinker. I actually, I actually watched most of that 
after watching the first one just to compare them to see like what happened to the series because isn't it just straight up a cruise action film at that point for the most part yeah we can talk a little bit more about why i thought two didn't work but one did okay um but it just amped up a bunch of things that weren't the best part of the first one yeah Okay, well then why don't we start off with what we remember the first time seeing Mission Impossible. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched it, I was it was over Thanksgiving break, and I was at my aunt and uncle's house in Minnesota, and they had like a big 60-inch, you know, like projector TV thing, Ooh. you know? Um, and we rented Mission Impossible and Twister in the same night and watched oh, them both. How did how'd you survive that? I mean, just <laughs> adrenaline-wise. Oh, I you probably know. didn't sleep for a couple of days. <laughs> Which was first, by the way? In the double what did we feature. watch first? We watched Twister first, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then Mission Impossible. I, I remember because me and my uncle and my dad, I think, were the only ones who stayed up. Everybody else kind of was like, oh, we're going to bed. But I was like, with it. You were amped, and yeah. you had just watched Twister, so you were probably right. a little scared of <laughs> right. uh, yeah. F5 tornado coming uh, yeah, through. Yeah. But, yeah. So I was really excited to see it, and um, it lived up to my 12-year-old, ex- like, as a 12-year-old, my expectations. It was exciting. Looking back, I, I didn't get the story, <laughs> but, like, just from all the fun stuff, I was with it. And I watched it a bunch of times when I was a kid, too. It was one of, like, the first PG-13 movies I was allowed to watch, too. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, a pretty safe PG-13. It is, yeah. Yeah. So how about you? Um, I don't know if I, I know I saw it in the theater. I don't remember the exact circumstances of really? that. I think it might've just been with my parents or, you know, or they maybe took me and my friend to go see it. My memories of the movie are more just generally like watching it a lot on VHS. Um, Cause yeah. my family ended up buying it on VHS and my friend at the time, we would just watch it quite a bit actually. Mm-hmm. So obviously I liked it. Yeah. And I think I'm with you where I don't think I fully really knew what was happening in the story most of the time yeah. um at the time at that age it didn't matter to me um right the the Not really the really cool sequences were close enough together right. to where it just kind of was like if i started losing it a lot i yeah. kind of was like well you know yeah. it's gonna get cool again the really soon gonna come out <laughs> yeah yeah, I don't know about you, but I had no familiarity whatsoever with the TV show. No, like, not never at all. Even I still seen haven't seen it. Yeah, me neither. So you know, I didn't have anything like that to compare it to at all. Right. I thought a lot of the the tech gadget stuff was just super cool. Yeah. You know, at the time. Totally. That was some of the first like hacking and like mm-hmm. we're breaking in. I mean, I think you had a few like like sneakers. Well, sure, or, like, yeah. You know, but, but I mean, like the first that for me, yeah. the one that I saw that was like really using that stuff. That was really cool. So what did you what did you have it rated uh, on your letterbox before the rewatch? Well, interestingly, there was just a very long desert period where I had not seen this movie at all. Yeah. Um, and I think as I kind of already had talked about, I really didn't like the second movie, didn't even bother seeing the third one. I liked Ghost Protocol. Yeah. But but the thing is that all kind of informed me once I set up my Letterboxd account and I think I, at the time I, I just gave it a three star because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it in so long. I had a hard time really being able to nail down how I thought I would yeah. feel about it now. That's exactly you know? what I did too. I, I looked and uh, I actually didn't rate it on Letterboxd, but I had rated it on Netflix, I guess. Um, okay. And it was three stars yeah. there. So, I mean, I think I was basically saying, yeah, I, I remember being a good movie. I, right. ha- I don't really know how it holds up, so that's what I'm going to give but it. But rightly, I wasn't trusting my 13-year-old sensibilities exactly. to like, yeah. <laughs> rate that movie. But I did remember even... I remembered, even though I was through the eyes of my junior high self, I do remember 
the way I was even then a little impressed with how like that opening sequence of the reception in Prague, yeah. how that all just kind of moved. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And so I think in my head, looking at it as someone who <laughs> likes to think now about how film works, I was like, yeah, De Palma was doing some cool stuff then. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's got to hold up in some way. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on the rewatch, did it, did it rate higher or lower for you? For me, at best, it's the same for the sake of argument. I'm probably going to knock it down a little really? bit to about two and a half. Wow. I think. Yeah. There's a lot about this movie that doesn't hold up, and it's not just because it's 90s technology. Yeah. I mean, just as a thriller, it just doesn't <laughs> hold up very well. And I don't think this movie, even if it was using the latest and greatest gadgets and technology, I don't think this movie as it is yeah. would cut it today. <laughs> this is so funny. Um because we're usually, th- this is not usually the way it goes. I watched it last night and my dad was over. So I watched it with my dad. And I don't know if that put me back into my childhood mindset. Okay. But I bumped it up to four stars. Wow. Okay. And I think what's funny to you me could, about this. You could, you could maybe win me over. I'm willing I to hear you out. I think what's funny but... about this is that you are taking the stance I usually take and I'm taking the stance you usually you're, take. You're going more for just the, not even necessarily nostalgia, but yeah. just the gut, like, yeah. hey, I'm having a good time. Yeah. That's yep. just usually me, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well. Because let's... Be- wait, should you pull off your latex mask right now and show <laughs> yeah. that you're actually... I'm actually you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, um, I don't know why. Because... The movie has so many holes and a lot of dumb stuff in it. The movie doesn't even make sense. There's no, there's no reason for mo- for most of the plot twists. I understand that. Like, okay, <laughs> because early on, like early in my notes, it's all these questions, and it's all like, why is it? Why did they have to do this? And this looks so stupid. And that yeah. was a dumb thing. And maybe it was because I had a gin and tonic and then a beer. <laughs> well, there that you I go. was enjoying this movie. <laughs> but after a while, I was just like. I remember this scene. I'm like, yeah, I, I yeah. thought this was fun. And this was like, that still excites me. Like right now, like this, the, 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 the scene on the train and like the, the helicopter. And yeah, I will, I will grant you that <laughs> in the moment when in those scenes, you can still get swept up in them, I think. And that's why I don't necessarily want to give this like, you know, one star. I think there's plenty that we could probably talk about that's worthy in this movie that at least makes it worth watching, you know, but I kind of compare, like I recently watched the movie Two Guns with Denzel Washington and Mark Wahlberg, another movie I gave two and a half stars because it's not a good movie. You know, there's so much about it that I could just, if I want to think about it, could just point out and say that, well, that doesn't make sense or why would they do that? Or, you know, you didn't have to do that. That's just for you to have that action sequence. And, you know, but it was a pleasant thing to sit through and watch that one time. So... Yeah, why can't I just have that feeling again this time with Mission Impossible? Well, I guess maybe because I've already watched it that one time a couple times a couple years ago. And now I watch it and I'm just like, the stuff that I thought was so charming about it at the time, some of it is still good. Others of it, I just almost can't. I don't know. I almost couldn't. I couldn't get through it almost. See, I know know we want to avoid bringing Roger Ebert into our arguments too often. But I felt like he summed up what I feel about this movie too well for me not to quote okay he said the bottom line on a film like this is tom cruise looks cool and holds our attention while doing neat things that we don't quite understand doing them so quickly and with so much style that we put our questions on hold and go with the flow and that's what i ended up doing about a third of the way through the movie i just stopped asking questions i was like you know what i could pick this apart but whatever i'm gonna let i'm just gonna go with this movie right now 
Yeah. And well, that's what I did when I was in junior high. And that's not a bad thing to do because I do it all the time in the right movie. I guess I feel like there were times where that moment of having to say, well, I'm just going to have to forget this and move on. It happened too often. And it also kind of sucked the fun out for me after a while. Like I got (laughs) to the point where I was just like, I don't even know why I'm watching this anymore. Other than the spectacle, you know, what what are they trying to protect or catch or do right and what's the time limit and why is there a time limit and who are they trying to keep it from yeah like, and i think also just gave okay, it to the person that let, i thought they were trying to keep let's it do from this and, because i'm going to assume a lot of our listeners are in the same boat we're in where they had not seen this in years yeah and so i think anytime we talk about something oh, so we're we actually going to have try to summarize this plot <laughs> which is funny go to wikipedia and try to read the plot summary of this movie and yeah. it's like wikipedia is confused by <laughs> what's going on because... yeah so yeah so basically <laughs> if we can make we're, it basic yeah uh this team imf uh, these spies mm-hmm. not headed by tom cruise as ethan hunt but headed no. by john voigt as jim phelps phelps jim phelps and his team is uh given the mission to obtain this knock list which is a list of spies who have been um outed kind of because it's right. their it's mm-hmm. their it's their code names and their real names right uh well actually it's the list split up into two yeah one has the the names, but they're encrypted. Right. And then the and other the half of the has, list has is sort of the missing piece of the puzzle, yes. which will unlock every spy's secret identity. Right. And yeah. it would, yeah, it would put a lot of lives at risk, which is actually Valerie Plame, when she was outed, it's like pretty much the same thing. Her outing put a lot of missions that she was involved in at risk. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's, it's so, not like a total made up thing, but no, I'm fine with that. No, premise. I know. I'm not saying whatever. <laughs> During this mission, okay, everybody on Ethan Hunt's team dies except for Ethan. And it turns out Jim Phelps' wife, Claire, who apparently Ethan is falling for. After the mission, Kittredge, another IMF person, tells Ethan this whole thing was a mole hunt. And they think Ethan Hunt is the mole. Because he survived. And his last name's Hunt, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the mole hunt. It was right there. Mole is Hunt. I can understand you're very upset. Kittredge, you've never seen me very upset. All right, Hunt. Enough is enough. You have bribed, cajoled, and killed, and you have done it using loyalties on the inside. You want to shake hands with the devil? That's fine with me. I just want to make sure that you do it in hell. So he gets away, and he tries to complete this mission to save the knock list and figure out who the mole is. He feels like that's how he's going to save himself, is by finding this knock list. Now, why he feels like that is kind of beyond me but well, because um, then he can find the mole and he can save himself because he's he knows he's not the mole but if he mm-hmm. finds the real mole he can bring him to justice for killing his crew and save the knock list which would save a bunch of other spies lives then and we're going to spoil everything turns out that jim did not die jim phelps the jim john phelps, voight character john voight character leader of the team didn't die and in a very strange and convenient moment of clarity, Ethan Hunt remembers everything and realizes that Jim Phelps, John Voight's character, faked his own death and arranged for the deaths of all the other people. Mm-hmm. And, and why? Then, uh, oh, well, he gives that speech. Why, Jim? Why? When you think about it, Ethan, it was inevitable. No more Cold War. No more secrets you keep from everyone but yourself. 
operations, you answer to no one but yourself. And then one day, you wake up, the President of the United States is running the country without your permission. The son of a bitch, how dare he? And you realize, it's over. You're an obsolete piece of hardware not worth upgrading. You've got a lousy marriage and 62 grand a year. Ethan is floored by this because it turns out that Jim's sort of a father figure to him, even though he uh, was in love with Jim's wife, who Mm -hmm. had seduced Ethan. And I don't know why they needed that to happen. No. And (laughs) the knock list gets saved. And Ethan clears his name, and he becomes like Jim Phelps, the leader of an IMF team. We're missing some things, but they're not important because they don't really make sense. And that all that in itself will just make your head spin yeah. as you're watching it. If you, unless you can just turn it out, and, and I did off. this time, and apparently I need to just be tipsy when I watch. <laughs> it probably would help a lot, actually. Yeah. But we found we found the key. <laughs> get me a little. Get me a little. A little tipsy, not so much so that I fall asleep because I fall asleep pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> what I think would have gone a long way in this movie is just to explain what somebody, anybody, was actually going to do with this knock list if they got it. And you mm. had the whole Vanessa Redgrave character Max. who could have done that. She could have, I mean, I don't understand why she's even in the movie. Vanessa Rev- Redgrave plays Max. Max who is someone who wants the knock list, but you don't really, you don't get a sense that she's all that evil. No. So why does she... The mole was going to give her the knock list. For what? Money. And power. For her? No, no, no. She gave them money for the knock list. The mole. The mole. Job. But was she a bad person? Because she she got arrested. She was a bad person. So what was she going to do with this? I don't... Kill spies? I don't know. (laughs) See, that's the funny thing. Like, there are times where you're like, stop explaining. And then there's other times where like... Could have used a little bit more explanation here. <laughs> We're both in agreement that the that the plot is very convoluted. Sure. And I think that the sequences that I think De Palma really cares about yeah. are very good. Yes. They are. I agree. But this time I noticed certain things in those sequences, even yeah. where I'm like, this would not have been successful. There are times where if you just for a moment put yourself in the shoes of the people who are supposed to not see these spies in their midst. Yeah. You're like, yeah, they, they'd have to be real idiots not yeah. to see what was going on. Like in the first one, in the reception in Prague, she like I mean, she sprays, sprays the dude's her, hair. Yeah. You would definitely feel that and be like... <laughs> You'd at least look back. Okay, so if you haven't seen the movie in forever, one of the spies... What's her name? Oh, Hannah. She's got these glasses that like can see something. Infrared, I don't know. UV, something. Yeah. Whatever she can see, it's in this perfume bottle that Kristen Scott Thomas sprays over her shoulder and just, like, apparently drenches the guy's (laughs) hair. (laughs) Because she sprays it right in the back of his head. There's a guy she has to identify. And who's that guy? I don't know. He's he's the guy trying to steal the knock list for Max originally. Okay. So he's somehow connected to Max? I, I don't know if he's stealing it for Max, but he's stealing it. Okay. Yeah. Either way, the point I was trying to make is like, so that's a pretty key element of this whole heist type thing that they're doing. Yeah, it's the only way they can identify him. But it's not even done very subtly. Okay, and then they kind of have to do the same type of thing in the second sequence where he has to drop down. Great sequence. It it is a great sequence. It is. It still works. Where he has to drop into a room that's heavily, it's a computer room that's heavily guarded to get this knock list. He um, can't touch anything. He can't raise the temperature of the room one degree. Right, and he can't go over one decibel. Right. 
but there's a technician that comes in there regularly and to get him to not come in there why she, was he going in there i don't know why do you have to go in there so frequently i don't know what's he doing in there? i don't know <laughs> That guy gets that guy is stealing a living because he's just paid to like log into a computer a bunch yeah. of times a day. I mean, he's clearly not vital because nobody is checking on that room when he spends an hour in the bathroom. Right. And that's how they get him out is they basically They put like a laxative, put a laxative in, in his in his coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they which put is, that little patch on him. So what was your then, point about that? My point is that that Okay, first of all, if he's actually somewhat of a halfway decent IMF employee, mm-hmm. he's been given this crazy access to something that's very important. Yes. And for him to not even notice that there's just like this girl out of nowhere who you would think he would have noticed. I've never yeah. seen this woman before. Yeah. She comes into the cafeteria, sits right next to him for no reason. Let's say maybe he did think she was flirting with him. Don't you think he'd be aware enough to see like that she would... You put something, in, put his something in his drink. It's the fact that even with all this high-tech stuff and the actual planning of these things, they all hinge on something that's like really actually not very likely to get past someone without them at least turning around and being like, something's weird here. Yeah, you know? especially since the people that they are yeah, they're working suppo- against are supposed to be... They're supposed to be very t- intelligent. Of their, yeah. yeah, spies of their caliber. Right. And there's really three big sequences that are great in this movie. If you can look past all that stuff, there's the reception in Prague, there's the getting of the knock list in the computer room, Mm -hmm. and then there's the big train sequence at the end. Right. And even that one, I love what happens in it, but Mm -hmm. the fact that that guy can, he's that good of a helicopter pilot that he can go that long in the tunnel without... Whatever. I know, but come on. I guess I think at this point, unless it was like a certain type of superhero movie where that's sort of the world yeah. that you're in that I don't think that would fly anymore today in a thriller. No that, pun intended. The, yes, no pun intended. It wouldn't it wouldn't chopper these yeah. days. <laughs> but I don't think that audiences would accept that. Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I was kind of like, oh wait, it just flies into the tunnel. <laughs> but then I was like, yeah, okay. I and remember. Even, That's fine. It would take like a little nick for everything oh, to yeah. just like yeah. go crazy on the helicopter. Yeah. I know. I know. But the sequences still do work. Like, yeah. Just for, you don't have to suspend that much disbelief for, I mean, in any of those sequences. It's filmed really well. De Palma knows how to build suspense. And you are locked in in all those sequences as a viewer. And there's a lot going on in them. Yeah, especially in that reception sequence where we really don't know these characters. We really don't know what they're doing there, (laughs) even though they've explained it to us. Um, He keeps you pretty well oriented. All you need to know is that these people are working together. They have these individual jobs. This is the guy, and here's where they're trying to get to. Right. And he keeps you... With that knowledge, but also, and enough goes wrong, and enough like things where you're like, oh, they better get there. You're right, and you just can't think about it too much. I, do you want me to go? You want me to go on with a few other things that sure, just yeah, were, yeah, yeah. were made it so that I just couldn't. Yeah, I want to know why I was okay with overlooking these things. Yeah, I think the first one I noticed because it was right in that first sequence. I realized, like, does Jack? This is the Emilio Estevez character, the hacker. Uh-huh. Does he even need to be there when where Phelps? He is. Could do the same do stuff. the same stuff remotely. Good point. Like, Why did he need to be there? So, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, Emilio Estevez is the hacker kind of character in the first right. sequence. He's the one who does all the hacking to get into the elevators and open yeah. doors. Even though, like, 
There's no way any building was that connected to the internet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Where every elevator door could be overridden by a hacker. I don't think you still could do that. I, no, I know. Like, no, yeah. you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and the internet of things is like huge. Right. But so, there's a point where he, it seems like he can't do what he needs to do, which I believe is just to open, open the, the doors. elevator. Yeah. And um, Jim Phelps, is sort of radioed into the whole group the entire time, can see what's going on. Yeah. And he sees that this is happening. He's like, I'm just going to do it. And, and he just <laughs> he opens just the door. He does it from, remotely from where why he's didn't you from miles that? away. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty stupid. I remember that. I remember thinking that. But I think he had to be there to like hack into Someone that had to box. be there. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let that one Whether or not he then. had to stay on top of the elevator or whatever. Yeah. And again, it was like a grate, a metal grate. That he was sitting on, and people in the elevator would have just needed to look up. I pretty oh. often look up in elevators. I yeah. think. Okay, going back to the to the technician sequence in the computer room. Uh-huh. There's a section where he's just hanging up there, and the technician's in the room, and the room is not big. It's tall. Apparently, it is. I don't know. I feel like yeah. I'm like you. I, it's not like I make a habit of always looking up every time I go into a room, but my eye just kind of glances. I up. feel like, like if there was a fully grown man. <laughs> <laughs> hanging from his feet i would i would notice that in a room that only i go in yeah and i go in there apparently many many times a day <laughs> yeah whatever it you was know, like gah no don't see him and then he didn't right. see him and you were like okay i don't need to question why and, i'm and, just glad that and, he didn't and that was actually probably one where i was more like you where the sequence was just so cool yeah that i was like i can't think about that you know one another um, question i had during that sequence is like why is this super tough spy guy so freaked out by a mouse yeah or a rat yes <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it was it was just like tooling along boop and then he has to like let go kill it and then grab on this is the guy in the duct who's yeah holding jean reno yeah um but again it was one of the most heart-stopping moments of the movie when he almost hits and then like he just doesn't okay let's talk about that part for a second let's do because i think we may be talking about the same thing (laughs) there's a part where the sweat drip yeah yeah okay you see the the camera pulls back and you see how close he is to the floor he is like two inches off the ground (laughs) and a sweat drip goes across his glasses very very effective you're like yeah oh no because yes. we've seen earlier that any drop of it's a great idea yeah. in the movie you know for them to have that be a way to build suspense. and i remember this working so much better like i i i remember it but we, it's funny that we had the exact same thought and so this sweat drip is threatening to land on the floor and if and it lands you, on the floor the whole jigs up right yeah and you it's he's literally two inches off the ground and I was like, how is he going to get his hand and he's underneath He's having a hard time balance, right. balancing his body because right. he's got to keep himself not only off the ground, but completely level. Yeah. And so there is no room for his hand to like make it from like a crucifix position <laughs> right. to underneath his glasses. But that's what happens. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> and so I was like, how are they going to do this? I forgot how this happens. All that happens is the sweat drop drips and it cuts to it landing in his hand. Right. It's a cheap cinema it's trick. It's like the worst. Like you it's don't terrible. actually, it's, it's that like, actually deflated me. I was like, it. oh, dang it. 
I remember that being so amazing, but it could have had like, like a, a Mission Impossible <laughs> rag come out from his chest. Yeah, yeah, like, that would have been better. Know. He had some like uh, spring-loaded ascot that like <laughs> pops out of his shirt and catches it and <laughs> comes back in. But no, it was just don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. He somehow he did it. He did it. He somehow he got his arm around and sort of in that cup position. Yeah. and was still able to you know keep himself balanced. Right, so. and apparently the sweat drop didn't drip off the latex glove. <laughs> nope, made a cool sound. It did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, overall, right? That uh, sequence. Yeah, that sequence is cool. Again, yeah. even though... So, and I think that's sort of this movie for me. That sequence had at least three major flaws. And we're like, yeah, but that worked. And this movie has at least 30 major flaws. And I'm like, yeah, that's... I'm well, I think this okay is... okay with it. This is where I think maybe we're coming down is... Um, I think we are both in agreement that the... The action sequences, though pretty unbelievable at times, they still work because they do what they need to do, which is to really just keep you on the edge of your seat and keep you very interested in how it's going to develop. Yeah. But as a spy thriller, I just don't know how well it holds up. The way that Ethan Hunt finds out his stuff mm -hmm. is all convenience. Yeah. Okay, so he's got to figure out the meaning behind this job 314. Mm -hmm. And then he realizes, aha, maybe it's Job no, he sees a Bible. Of course, but that's what I mean. He sees a Bible. He's like looking on the computer and then like it looks up on a shelf and lo and behold, almost as if it was from God. That was like, convenient. <laughs> that was convenient, but it was there for a reason because he was Jim in Jim's office and that was the Bible Jim had brought. And he Jim was using the Bible to correspond to. Why he was doing that, I have no idea. I don't know why he was using Bible verses. Didn't strike me as a particularly <laughs> religious man. It struck me as something that was convenient for the script. It was, you know? yeah. Yeah. And knowing how exact email addresses have to be, like he just makes up an email. Uh, yeah. He, and it, like yeah. he tries, he just tries sending they something. They clearly have to... no idea how email addresses work <laughs> that, at all. Because he just, well, I forget what the email address was. He changes it every time. Max can... at Job314. Job and then later it's yeah. not dot com, oh. just Max at Job314. <laughs> okay. And then the next time when he moves on to the next verse, it's Max at Job315. Right, and he, he doesn't know these email addresses, and he's just sending he's them. He's just assuming. He's actually sending them to see if somebody responds back. Yeah, it's so stupid. If you don't hear back, it could have been that you just forgot to put a period in, yeah. the, in the address. Or like you. Or why would, it, why would it, a <laughs> secret spy agency just put first name at topic of email <laughs> as the address? As their email address for everything but that they do. But people had no idea. That's what, I know. That sort of charmed me. I mean... This is sort of what movies for about 10 years did. I guess they always do it, but like from like 94 to 2004. Yeah. Underdeveloped technology. People just tossed it into a movie. I mean, The Matrix. Nothing works like the technology in The Matrix, really. But whatever. We don't really care. Well, I'm sure it happens even now because now you hear about like hackers who talk about when people do hacking, even on yeah, shows now. Right. And I was just reading an article about how tech geeks really like to show Mr. Robot. Yeah. Christian, because it's the first actually... time that the hacking is actually based on real hacking that right. they've seen. You know, so it's not anything that's necessarily right. unique to this film. And for some reason, I'm sh I'm willing to forgive this movie and and other movies that it 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 ruins it for me. Yeah. I think the hacking is so cheesy. Great. Like when uh, Ving Rhames is like counter hacking them trying to upload the knock list and yeah. he's sending the jamming signal. The jamming signal, yeah. <laughs> like... What's the matter? It's not transmitting. But try it, try it again. Damn it, I've got to get this through before we hit the channel. 
What's the problem? Connection denied. I can see that. Did you check the batteries? I always check the batteries. Don't you give me that. It just, it, I don't know. Um, there was something about this movie that had the cheesy James Bond appeal mm-hmm. without the super misogyny. Right. And Ethan Hunt, what I liked about this movie, and I, I actually watched Mission Impossible 2, and I think that might be why I rated Mission Impossible 1 higher. I, I admired the way they handled the Ethan Hunt character more in the first Mission Impossible than I in the second Mission Impossible because he was about the job. Whether or not it makes sense to us as viewers to finish his job, he was to clear his name, and he was just trying to figure it all out. Like He was mm-hmm. talented, and that was basically all he had going for him. In the second one, he is way more flirtatious and charming and quippy. Like he's climbing that mountain and he gets the message and some Oakleys and he puts them on and sees the message. And they were like, Oh, and next time you go on holiday, please tell us. And he's like, if I told you it wouldn't be a holiday. And then he throws the glasses and they explode right in front of the camera. Immediately he picks up a woman and there's like this sexual tension scene. And like, like, I'm so glad that the first mission impossible didn't try to make a second James Bond, a new American James Bond. And so it had those elements that, like, I like about the James Bond movies, like the espionage and some of the cheesy sort of, like, you know, genre elements and the the tilted angles and that sort of thing. What I'm feeling about this, as we're talking about it, is, like, I can't say a high school reunion because I've never been to one. But running into old high school friends that you totally got along with in high school but you haven't kept up with. Mm-hmm. And... There's something about hanging out with them and you're like, oh yeah, that was so much fun. I remember we were like really good friends in high school, but there's a lot of stuff about that time hanging out or things that they say that you're like, I remember why we stopped hanging out. (laughs) But you know what? I was glad I saw him. I was glad we hung out and I was glad we were friends back then. Yeah. There were things in this movie that, like, those sequences were as exciting as I remember, even though, you know, there were some stupid things about them. There were other things about that were hallmarks of movies at that time. The score, uh, especially the one moment where... I think Danny Elfman did the score. Did he? I mean, obviously not the Mission Impossible theme. Actually, the Mission Impossible theme that you hear was Adam Clayton and Larry Mullen Jr. from U2. Really? Yeah. Oh, um, the the rhythm section of U two interesting the, did that um, but yeah the you're talking about the the score in so the, the movie. score yeah in the movie where there was a moment where he jumps from the train to the helicopter and it's a very 90s thing where the triumphant the theme turns triumphant and he dun, like dun, dun, jumps and then he lands it's like i did notice that as like a very dated but kind of charming yeah that's the thing that's (laughs) that high school friend thing that you're like oh yeah i would never want this in a movie today right but that is that is awesome and then i was thinking about it and i'm like nothing is solved he's just hanging onto the onto the runner of a helicopter in the channel 
that's yes. tied to a speeding train. Like, why did the triumphant music kick in at that there? moment? Yeah, you'd think it would have happened when he threw the gum on the... Yeah, and he, like, Oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Let's, let's remember the sequence. So that's the triumphant part to get him on the helicopter. But then the kick-ass Mission Impossible theme that's comes right, on. That's right. When and he, he says, red light! Green light, and then throws it on, yeah, and then it blows him, and it does the bana like That's as right. he hits. So it's it's pretty well planned. Yeah, out. it yeah. was. <laughs> they didn't they didn't scrap that triumphant yeah landing music. It's probably something Elfman wrote for when yeah. the helicopter blew up, and then the Palma or whoever on the in the editor is just no, like, we gotta you use gotta the use theme. the theme, and yeah. he's like, well, can you at least give me the train to helicopter jump? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you bring up the score. I did notice that that throughout, this is not a score you would hear in like a spy thriller now. No, no and you're right. They would I, all be like the. It'd be Hans Zimmer. Yeah. You know that he really has sort of set the tone now yeah. for any sort of unless they thriller were going darker that has with any it. gritty realism. Unless to they were it, going yeah. darker with it and they were doing a Trent Reznor style. Sure, you'd have that. Yeah, those are your two options now. Yeah, that's it. Which. Not bad options. Hey, I love that stuff. I'm not <laughs> knocking it. Go. But that's where we're at now. Yeah. And I noticed that about the score, and I also noticed that about the color palette of the movie itself. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of primary colors to it. Yeah. It's a lot more bold looking than I think. Like, everything's so gray now. Well, it's that golden, like, it's yeah. like light from an incandescent light, outside lighting, like a street lamp. Right. Whereas this was lit cinematically. Very cinematically. Actually, like, you know, there's the scenes of them, them on the bridge. Weeks. It where, took them two weeks to light Prague. Oh, really? Two weeks of setting up and like generators everywhere, and then you know, two weeks to film. Yeah, in I mean, Prague, but... and I think you can see that yeah. definitely because especially there's like the bridge scene mm-hmm. and it's very foggy, but but it's actually a pretty bright sort of bluish night light right. that you see there. That I it struck me as something that you wouldn't. It's a strange choice. Um, I'm not sure if that's more the time that movie was made mm-hmm. or if that's more of a De Palma thing. I think it might be a combination, but mainly a De Palma thing. I would venture to guess. Yeah. Because that's much more of a conscious choice. And he shot it. He used it so well. But yeah, again, that's something that, you know, maybe in another movie, like if I had never seen Mission Impossible, I'd probably be taking a crap all over it. I mean, it wasn't great for its time. It's not like a movie that broke a lot of ground, right. but it it used the aesthetic of its day well, I think. Uh, you make a good point, though, your analogy of visiting friends you know, from back in high school, I feel like that's a really good analogy for what the conversation was we had a while back about like Braveheart, you know, another movie that I loved. I still liked it kind of like you still like Mission Impossible. But even then I was like, okay, I can see things in it. Yeah. And that's why I hadn't watched it probably for so many years. I was almost like not ready to revisit it, knowing that I was going to see certain things that uh, I couldn't unsee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that's, I think if you recognize that yourself, there's a place for it. It's a legitimate way to view movies from your past. Yeah. It's like, it's like a friend that you would never want. Maybe like if you were going to go see him, you wouldn't like say to your wife, you need to meet them. (laughs) Like if you want to stay home, that's fine. I don't need you to start wondering why I thought this was a good movie. (laughs) I'm just going to enjoy this on my own. Right. All right, so let's bring this back around. Mission Impossible. Yeah, this was a, a, a fittingly meandering conversation. Was, yeah. Is this podcast too convoluted? Will anybody be able to make any sense of it? Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of plot holes People have in a lot discussion. of questions, yeah. Let's talk about whether or not we are uh, best buds, or if we have a at least a mutual understanding going on, or is it complicated between us? That's a good question. I don't feel ill will towards you. No. It's, it'd be a weird movie. To get that, yeah. <laughs> to get that worked up. I'd say up we about. have a mutual understanding. Yeah, 
I'm okay with your position on why you liked it and what you got out of it. I think that's totally legit. I think it's fine. Um, I kind of wish that maybe I should have drank some when I watched it. I kind of wish that I could have had that, you know, yeah. because I did love this so much as a kid. Yeah. I think a mutual understanding is fine. All right. So. Does it change your rating at all? Well, before going into this, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to dial it back to two and a half, but I was very open to you kind of talking me up to at least back to my three. Yeah. You know, I'll go ahead and do that. I'll, I'll, I'll give it the three stars again because, you know, hey, Tom Cruise and those ballet slippers coming down. <laughs> there's just something so cool, weirdly, yeah. about that. I get <laughs> Weird, Weirdly cool about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sticking with my four. Really? Yeah. <sighs> After because all you that. Didn't, you didn't uncover anything I didn't already think about. And it just didn't matter. No. No. <laughs> I I had fun watching this well, movie. What can you again say to that? For some <laughs> dumb reason. That's what I'm saying. I'm not gonna, you know, it's it's honestly like that high school friend thing. Yeah, it's hey, just like what you like. Yeah. I think this gives me at least one pass in the future when you point out some crazy plot hole and I say I don't Dude, care. Dude, this is no 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 no. No no. This is long overdue payment for like several movies. <laughs> where where you've just been like yeah, I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> I can have one. We've settled our scores. <laughs> yeah, we're right. even. So for our next episode, we are going back to 1985. And we're going to watch a movie that I, I at least on our Letterboxd rating, like more than you like. Mm-hmm. We're going to watch Brazil, directed by Terry Gilliam. Yep. Starring uh, Jonathan Price. Robert De Niro's in it, briefly. But... I'm excited to see this one because I love this movie. Yeah, and you're right. This does start out as a movie that is very much our original premise of the podcast where um, we disagree. Right. But I've been wanting to watch rewatch this movie for years now because I'm almost positive. Because I actually love everything else Terry Gilliam does. Yeah. So I don't know what it was about this movie that didn't hit me. I think it was just the day. And I really feel like if I just gave it another chance, I would come out... Yeah, you know, really liking it. I so hope you do. I, this movie is great. Yeah, I have. I'm excited to watch it, and it's one yeah. of those that's been on my rewatch list for a long time. It'll be great to just check that off. Good. So, yeah. So if you uh, have anything to, if you've seen Brazil, and like Brazil or hate Brazil, let us know. Yeah, or your thoughts on, on um, Mission like, Impossible. Yeah, Mission Impossible. What did you think of uh, the original? Did you see Rogue Nation? And, yeah. Uh, you know, what do you, is it worth is it, seeing? Is it something we should go see? So. Um, please give us any feedback that you're willing to give. We always love to hear from you. Yeah, of course, at our Twitter, at CWSPF is our handle. Find us on Facebook. Email us, feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Leave a comment on our website at canwestillbefriends.net. Can <laughs> uh, they also could uh, give us a voicemail. They can, yeah. If you want to give us a phone call and leave a message, um, the number to ring up is 847-306-9532. And I also want to just really quickly uh, let you guys know that if you are looking for a new podcasting app, you know, the one that you've got right now just isn't cutting it, uh, we are actually available on a new podcasting app out there called Jabbercast. And they're doing some really cool stuff. In fact, they've got like the podcast Twitter feed kind of built into the player. So like if you're listening to it and you feel like you want to say something in the moment, you can immediately tweet to us while you're listening. And right. there's a lot of really cool things that they're doing. And so, yeah, yeah why, not, why not give it a shot? Download yeah. it and, uh, and add us on there and, and listen to us that way. But yeah. um, 
Anyways, we always we, we just want to hear from you either way. Uh, yeah. Let us know your thoughts on Brazil, Terry Gilliam, 1985. Yeah. <laughs> Did you even say that that was? Why yeah, I said okay. it was 1985. So it's 30 years old, just like our so, podcast now, 30 years old, ending our 31st, 30th yes, year. Our so, podcast uh, has uh, been around for 30, 30 years. Yeah, for 30, for 30 podcasts. 30 years. podcasts. 30 years we're watching Brazil to yep. celebrate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed our discussion. I yeah, hope you could or follow. Or at least could follow, follow the plot. our discussion of Mission Impossible. Or if you couldn't follow it, it, it was so enjoyable that all the plot holes don't really matter to you. But if that didn't happen to you, I'm with you. <laughs> 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 so thanks, thanks for listening, and, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks.